Rakowski. He is William Quigley. This is episode 1515. Coming to you from the left coast of the United States, California. And he is over in Santa Monica, and I'm somewhere near him. Of course, he's the smart guy. I'm the guy with the mouth. And we are going to lead you down the path of what's going on in the cryptocurrency space. That means everything that's altcoin, coin, blockchain, or blockchain. I was just with Brock Pierce the other day, and it's just kind of funny when I say blockchain. He looks at me going, yeah, blockchain. You've heard that, right, William? I actually say it at conferences. Blockchain. And people will say to me, it sounds like you're saying blockchain. Yeah. Brock, Brock is an interesting individual. Brock Pierce we're talking about, uh, the, the founder of EOS, the Ethereum operating system, which is one of the largest ICOs ever that's out there. But we could talk about that later on. We are on episode 15, which means we've been doing this a long time. It's pretty amazing, actually. Consistent. We're consistent, predictable, and reliable, William. Yeah. Something the blockchain sometimes is, sometimes isn't. I, I did a report on you through a, an artificial intelligence tool called Crystal Nose, which looks at 36,000 data points to tell you about the individual. It's pretty cool. And it says, William is an analytical, skeptical, and a focused on results type person. What comes naturally to William? Being effective, ensuring quality, discipline, critical thinking and he's very persuasive let me tell you what drains william what actually brings him down personal questions the lack of accountability display of emotion making assumptions and over planning wow i sound like a really fun guy to come to a party don't i <laughs> actually, no, I should, you know what i'm gonna have I'm going to have Evite buy this software because maybe that's a good way to determine who should go to the party. But wait, I got it. Exactly. I got a question. Where did you, where does it get its data? It's an amazing tool. It's called Crystal Nose and I'll send you a link to it. It's a, a pretty hardcore tool to do everything from relationship management. Like I could say, what would, what would it be like if you and I worked together? Where would our issues be how would we do conflict resolution it's pretty but cool where, crystal but how is it getting this personality profile is it from whatever is online that you have or where is it getting the data here's the key it's just not stuff that's online like my father who is not online at all it got him to a t okay so it uses so much data points out what there the heck but I, i'm still confused it doesn't do interviews at that, all. so where does it get this information it, We'll do that on a different show, okay? This is all about coin DMZ. Hey, William, what happens when Bitcoin goes a tumbling? I'll tumble for you. What happens when it starts going below 10,000, 9,000, 8,000? Well, you know what, what they what call happens? that? They call that the Bitcoin misery index, right? Really? It's, oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, um, that's a common term the misery index on wall street when you know inflation is going up or interest rates are going up or unemployment's going up they have this they, they like the word misery and index anyway but i've been seeing now a lot of bitcoin misery indexes which just really is a chart of uh when there's strong uh signs you should be selling and strong signs you should be buying and those signs of buying are very strong right now i've got to say it's interesting because if I look at the charts for all the major coins and tokens right now over at uh, cryptocurrency market capitalization, they are all in the similar path except Tether, 
which is fairly erratic. It doesn't seem to follow any pattern compared to everything else, where Bitcoin, Ripple, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, they all seem to look the same on the charts, except Tether. Yeah, but that makes sense, right? Because Tether, for our listeners, is a, it's like Bitcoin, but it's backed by, by U.S. dollars. So every Tether is backed by a U.S. dollar. So generally speaking, it trades at what amount, Ken? Uh, pegged to the dollar. A dollar, right. It generally <laughs> trades at a dollar, but it's, sometimes it's 99.9 cents and sometimes it's 100.001 cent. But you were, that one I would expect not to move volatility-wise a lot because it's, uh, quote, you know, backed by a, by a, a real-world asset. It's pretty interesting, actually, if you look at it. It's twenty. That's two point one billion dollar market cap. Right. That's that, which, that's pretty sizable. Yeah. Yeah. Which means it's backed by two point one billion U.S. dollars in a bank account. I somewhere. get it. And there's a whole bunch I of controversy. It. Is it really backed by that? I think it is, but I have an audit. Uh, as you know, I think we mentioned before, I was a co-founder of Tether, but I'm not involved with it anymore. But I do believe it has the uh, money backing it uh it's just there's not a lot of transparency with the organization that runs it now when you say you were one of the co-founders why aren't you still part of it well because well it was an act of love meaning uh yeah that little uh, personality profile didn't get that did it ken i no there is no act there's no love in your personality profile <laughs> there is not uh so um uh but it was a uh, it was a charitable act we uh brock pearson myself uh, we wanted to create a coin that people could acquire when they were getting nervous because if it was backed by a dollar, our thinking was it wouldn't it wouldn't fall much, you know, when people got nervous about cryptos. And that's exactly the role it's played. Uh, once we created it and we were you know allowing people to use it, uh, mostly on exchanges that didn't accept uh, fiat currency, which was great, right? So if you had a what we called an alt exchange in the old days, but an exchange that only accepts cryptos, if you were getting nervous and wanted to get out of cryptos into something safer like a dollar, how would you do it? You'd have to sell your cryptos, incur a tax liability, and then go take that money out and whatever, keep it in the bank account. So we thought, what if you could keep it on that exchange, but in a vehicle that was uh safe and backed by something like you know gold or dollars we did it with dollars and uh once it was built though you know there uh there was, wasn't much for me to do you know i i had to go on and uh, continue to do other things start companies manage companies uh and another group wound up taking control of it and i think it's done a pretty good job with it they just aren't as transparent as i'd like them to be i'd like them to have an audit every quarter where they show the bank accounts and uh, what was the market cap of it, Ken? Two point one billion. Right now, two point two. Right now, two point two billion. So we should see bank statements that add up to two point two billion in U.S. dollars. So and, it will uh, always be at the purchase price being one dollar. Yes. Always. Yes. Okay, got it. We call that's what it's at. We'll get into them later. There's even a word for it now. I love it when people say, "Oh, do you know what a stable coin is?" And I'm like, "No, never heard the term." But uh, I guess this is the next generation of tether coins. They call them stable coins. And we'll talk about whether you should hold stable coins or not in a different episode. All right, let's do that a little later on. Hey, last episode, in episode 14, we said a little about something called M-Pesa. M-Pesa, which is literally the very first, let's call it, 
virtual coin, even though it wasn't, I would say that uh, the very first, what would you say the very first virtual coin would be? Well, you could go all the way back to uh, uh, Ultima Online, which was a, uh, you know, a, a video gaming tradable uh, currency or, or item, a virtual item that people used for currency. Uh, that was 1998. So you go all the way back That's there. Right. You know, that's right. And you like, can go there. Second Life had their own currencies internally. Second also, Life had you had a uh, you had a uh, uh, beans. If you remember beans, oh beans! <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a flop. Uh, uh, flues, flues, flues. <laughs> you remember oh that? My, so uh, I totally remember. These are all the 1999 little startups that raised a ton of money and then they just imploded. And so, just so all of our listeners know, I was like in elementary school at the time. Obviously, no, you weren't. Ken, no, you weren't. You had gray hair even at that time. <laughs> Ken was a young kid. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, uh, interesting factoid: Bean and Flues. These were current virtual currencies, like Bitcoin type stuff, issued in the late 1990s by companies that are like, we're saying, hey, if you can't get dollar bills or you don't want to you don't want to try to figure out a way to pay people uh, online uh, paypal wasn't around yet you could you know get these things called beans or flus which were like virtual currency but they were they were managed by one company each uh you didn't know necessarily if they were going to stick around which they didn't and uh it's what it's what tainted my perspective when my friend and business partner first told me about cryptos in 2010 or bitcoin at that point and i ignored it for two and a half years uh i told him no 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 that's a scam i remember these from late 90s and uh because of those dumb coins uh i had a bad taste in my mouth about cryptos and it took two and a half years for me to go wait a minute maybe there's something there yeah, but the irony is, William, if you would have thrown all your money into crypto, first you, of course, had to be a miner. It would it was not easy to get any form of a Bitcoin in the early days. Right. There was no way. Under the age of 17, right? No, no I'm serious. It was really hard. I mean, and you know when someone's BSing you when they say, oh, yeah, I bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin in 2011. Go, hey, yeah, what kind of rigs did you use to mine that? Because it wasn't yeah, something that was openly traded. It, no, Mount Gox really made it possible. Exactly. Yeah. But before we go there, wait, let, let's not go there yet. Because I want to talk about in 2007. In 2007, Vodafone and Safaricom, and I think uh, Vodacom, which was a, is a large telephone operator out of uh, Africa, they all came together and they realized that mobile phone minutes could be utilized as a currency outside the mobile phone network. That's so they they created this thing called M-Pesa. And Pesa, of course, is, I think it's Swahili for money. So M-Pesa mm. became, you didn't know that, did you? Ah, okay. I you know, I'll tell you what I thought was really interesting was M-Pesa started in Kenya and Tanzania. But did you know it's, in a, it's used in Afghanistan, South Africa, India, Romania, and in Albania? So I did not know that. I, I knew it was the, you know, Safaricom, I think, really started it. And yeah. uh, I did not know that it was used anywhere outside of a, it was originally Kenya, right? It was the mobile yep. operator of Kenya. And yep. in case anybody wants to know what we're talking about here, this is a, 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 a way of, it was like a precursor to Bitcoin. It was in Kenya where they used U.S. dollars. They didn't have a lot of reliable currency from their government. And so 
uh, they people started trading phone minutes. You could buy so many phone minutes at a local retailer, uh, you know, 100 phone minutes on your on the local phone, um, uh, the phone service provider, which was called Safaricom. And pretty soon people were people actually trusted Safaricom, uh, think of like a Verizon or AT&T, they trusted the, the minutes that they were buying on Safaricom more than they trusted, let's say, the government's currency. So they just started, and, the, and Safaricom allowed you to gift minutes in your phone to other people. So they just said, well, we'll just consider the minutes uh, a currency because they were worth something. And before you know it, there was this, it was like, it was like a PayPal but instead of dollars, you were using minutes from your um, your uh, phone service provider to pay for everything: electricity, taxi cab service, going to the grocery store. And the government of Kenya decided to do what? Oh, ultimately, I think they looked at it as almost like a, a bit of a threat to their own national currency, so they they acquired it. They acquired it, and and the capital of Kenya, which do you pronounce it Pretoria or Kotoria? How do you pronounce it? I, I don't do well on the geography lesson, so, so I'm going to let you <laughs> take a guess. It's Nairobi. It's Nairobi. Okay, Nairobi. <laughs> the capital not fallen for you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they acquired it, and, and this is where I, I find it to be interesting. Isn't this a similar situation to which we're seeing with crypto in other countries right now where they see it as a potential threat? Of course. Yeah. But they can't acquire it. They can't acquire the entity like they did Safaricom. Right, because there is. It's it's one of the more interesting things that uh, comes up when you're talking to people who just aren't familiar with cryptocurrencies and blockchains. And this idea that nobody owns Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a is a piece of software that's that's open source. So anybody in the world could each actually make a copy of it and make their own little Bitcoin uh, coin, call it William coin or Ken coin. Nobody owns it, but since nobody owns it and since it doesn't reside anywhere, there's not a Bitcoin company, right? It's basically volunteers who put it on their computers, just volunteer, voluntarily load it up on their computers and, and uh, these are called nodes. As a result of this, um, it's uh, what we call like decentralized, but it it uh, it turns out governments do not like decentralized platforms. Governments like to be able to go knock on a door and say, "Hey, stop doing this" or whatever, mm -hmm. and they can with uh, anything that's decentralized. And that and that's the the blockchains today are exactly that. People would say, "Oh, that's so funny! How can you sell something or have a value in something that's free?" Being well, not free, but like water's free, right? But water, of course, now I think is a $35 billion industry or even air is free, but there's canned air. They're doing this also with currency. It's out there. You can get it. No one owns it, but you can actually acquire it because it's considered in little, I would say it's broken in different cylinders or parcels or utilization environments. And that's how they've done it. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Hey, when we come back, we have a lot to talk about. We'll talk about how Twitter is suspending accounts that solicit crypto. Mt. Gox, once again, is killing cryptocurrencies. The first blockchain-backed presidential election just happened. Russia is considering relaxing the rules for crypto investors. If you're in Tennessee, you may not be able to put crypto into your IRA. And residents of Arizona may soon be able to pay their taxos. Taxes. Taxos, I like that. Plus, plus a listener email and a lot more. William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, you're listening to episode 15 right here on Coin DMZ. 
Twin DMZ, William Quigley, you know where he is, right? No, no one does because he's decentralized. He's everywhere. He's speaking at, con at conferences all over the place. We got to love him for being part of the show every single week. I'm Ken Rakowski, and we, of course, are your team for what's going on in the crypto space. Uh, William, where are you speaking at next? What's going on? What's the big place you're traveling to? You were just in New York. I was in New York, which was very useful because New York, of course, is what we call a money center. Money centers are like Tokyo, London, New York, Zurich. It's places where lots of banks and investors and and hedge fund managers uh, congregate. So uh, it's a good place to be pushing the, the concept of cryptocurrencies and blockchain as something very important for them to be considering. So I was at an event with uh, Goldman Sachs, which is a big investment bank. They were hosting a uh, at a conference many, many different global macro hedge fund investors. Those are people who, who invest on big global trends that are going on. And uh, I was discussing with them, uh, along with a guy named Mike Novogratz, who's a hedge fund manager who does a lot of crypto investing. I was discussing uh, why they might want to be taking a hard look at cryptocurrencies and blockchain companies form their investment uh, portfolios. So according to Crystal Nose, when you talk to William, make sure you be blunt and logical, avoid sarcasm, standpoint, skip the small talk, and expect expect interruptions. But, but uh, also flattery, lots of flattery. <laughs> lots of flattery. I love that ball spot uh, that's appearing on your head, William. <laughs> I, I use that little spray hey. can for that. Hey, where are you going next? Where's your next I, big speaking gig? I gigs? think it is in uh, Palo Alto, California, uh, on the oh, 23rd or something. I'm going to be up there uh, talking to uh, probably will be a lot of startup people or, or entrepreneurs who are thinking about using cryptos in their business or maybe doing an ICO. Okay, so let's talk about this ICO. When we talk about ICOs, initial coin offerings, we know that you have to have enough runway to do it the right way. It's almost like doing a crowdfunding campaign. Remember the Kickstarters, the Indiegogos of the world, people would take a few months prior to doing it to make sure that their social stream is right, understanding the tools like Slack and Telegram and knowing how to actually get the message to the right people. It is not an easy thing to do. Everyone thinks an ICO is really easy. It's not if it's done the right way. Well, those avenues, those places to get that message out generally are, like I said, Slack, Telegram. Well, unfortunately, the noise on Twitter has gotten a, a little too loud and it's gotten kind of scammy, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, it, it has. And that's but that's to be expected. Right. I mean, a lot of a lot of what's going on, if anyone here is thinking about investing in an ICO, God forbid you should, you know, get on some marketing list, you'll get bombarded with 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 emails and and, and spammy type messages. But um, it's sort of to be expected. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are doing ICOs that are raising, you know, crypto money for their projects. And uh, Twitter is a great place to um, to get people's attention. So Twitter is worried about potential uh, abuses of their platform where people are pitching, you know, scammy uh, ICOs or ICOs that uh, uh, don't meet some, some sort of regulatory requirement. Wait, William, but that means they have to research it. That means they have to, I mean, theoretically, 
Twitter is doing what they said they would not do in that they are editorializing or narrating the conversation. Yeah, I mean, what a surprise. A private company is doing something that said it wouldn't. But yeah, no, I get it. What I like about what they're saying right now is uh, so they're clamping down on on ads related to cryptocurrency. And when uh, people ask, well, what exactly is the policy? They say, um, well, the policies don't violate our Twitter advertising rules. Uh, right, but that's sort of circular logic, right? Uh, which rules should you follow? The Twitter advertising rules, but the advertising rules don't necessarily talk a lot about whether yeah. cryptocurrency advertising is okay and what you're allowed to say and not to say. But I will give this one piece of advice for anybody who's thinking about doing an ICO. God forbid you uh, are sending messages out on Twitter without speaking to a securities lawyer to make sure you're not breaking some existing rules around solicitation of investments. This is super important, by the way, because if you are just using and spamming out, just remember, the SEC, if you're doing anything in the United States, eventually will be looking at you, even though you may have done it four or five or six months ago. There's a historical record of what you've done. It doesn't disappear. Just do it smart. You know, I just did a search for ICOs on LinkedIn, and I was surprised how little the conversation is. And I have a pretty big footprint. I think I have 65,000 people on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm, I was one of the first on it. Really? I have, I have everybody on it. Not a lot of chatter on ICOs on LinkedIn. That, it, that To me, that was interesting, at least. Yeah, although I think of LinkedIn as sort of the uh, sort of the boring, sort of corporate-y uh, channel of communications. <laughs> You know, I mean, whereas Twitter is sort of anything goes, uh, you know. So I let me make sure I understand. Wait, wait, wait. I want to make sure. LinkedIn is the boring side. So theoretically, it's that crystal nose profile on you. So when you're in a meeting with William, set a clear time, be prepared for the meeting, expect tough questions, avoid unnecessary chatter, and focus on action items. Uh, it's going to be That's so weird. much fun to hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do, do you know what Mount G-O-X stands for? Yes, I do. Because most people don't know. Mount Gox, of course, was one of the first uh, exchanges where you could buy Bitcoin. What does G-O-X stand for? It, it stands for um, Magic the Gathering on the exchange. That's right. That's right. William knows these smart things most people don't. I thought Mark um, Mount Gox is yeah. gone. And, and disclosure, I should make. I, uh, uh, along with Brock Pierce, own Mount Gox. And we acquired the equity before it went bankrupt. So what are you doing with it? Do you have a shirt saying, hey, I own Mount Gox? Uh, so uh, obviously there's, it's been in the news lately. So we, you know, we're doing some things. Not, yeah. uh, are you, you're coming out with the T-shirts, you mean? Coming out with t-shirts. Yep. Yep. Can, can you not, you can't talk about this? Is that what not you're saying? Yet, not yet. But, but, uh, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Mt. Gox, so the very first call it Coinbase or Bitrix or Poliniex or whatever your uh, favorite crypto exchange is very first for Bitcoin, which was the only crypto at the time was called Mt. Gox and Mark Carpellis, uh, created Mt. Gox exchange. He was, he was allowing people to trade magic, the gathering cards. So for those, you don't know what Magic Gathering is. That's just this game where you get these cards in there. They can be valuable. It's like uh, baseball card trading, 
people would trade Magic Gathering cards. And so he created uh, an exchange for Magic Gathering, and then he cited, oh, I'll take cryptocurrency, or at the time, Bitcoin. And then uh, he lost some, I guess is how I would put it, uh, maybe $400 million worth of Bitcoin that was that people had deposited, deposited on this exchange. And uh, when uh, cryptos went, or Bitcoin went from like a few dollars to $1,200 in 2013, um, suddenly people wanted to withdraw all of this newfound wealth they had. And it turned out it wasn't on the Mt. Gox exchange because he had lost a lot of it. And uh, ultimately, uh, uh, Brock and I acquired it. We were going to try to do an audit and fix it, maybe try to recover some. We weren't sure what had happened. Uh, but uh, um, the lawyer who was running Mt. Gox, and really was pretty much running it, uh, he, uh, he put it in a bankruptcy in Japan. Now, if you want to go into a Kafka-esque world, you would want to go into the bankruptcy side of business in Tokyo. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese don't like bankrupt companies. They don't like companies going bankrupt. It's a weird process. So uh, only recently, that was what, like four years ago, only recently as the administrator of Mt. Gox in Japan started to sell off some of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin that they had. And it turns out it's gone up a lot in value. Uh, and uh, there was some controversy about uh, how much of the Bitcoin that Mt. Gox had should be distributed back to the holders of it. Uh, the, the original people who deposited Bitcoin on Mt. Gox, uh, one of the things they're doing is it's quite controversial is the administrator saying, well, I'll pay people back at the same value of Bitcoin back in 2014, but it's gone up a lot. Yeah. And so people are stressed about that. You know, they're like, wait a minute, I don't want my $200 of Bitcoin. I want my, you know, $9,000 for Bitcoin. So this is controversial and, you know, it's the, the, the final chapter isn't yet written. It's not written. So at least we're getting it directly from, and I don't want to say the horse's mouth because in your crystal nose profile, it says you do not like to be referred to animals. But yeah. we are getting it directly from one of the uh, the guys that's in the center of the story. Thank you for educating us, William. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And, and, and of course, the main thing uh, or one important reason we bring it up is because as we speak, Bitcoin has uh, been taking a beating the last few days. It's down to uh, like 9,000, Ken. I, I don't know what it's at the moment, but it's uh, it's been pummeled today. And uh uh, but in the last month, as everybody knows, it's really dropped a lot. And one of the things we're finding out uh, just in the last few days is that the uh, bankruptcy administrator who was holding the Bitcoin that was stored on Mt. Gox has been selling that Bitcoin. And uh, he, I think he sold 18,000 Bitcoin uh, not that long ago. But some people believe that's one of the reasons why we've been seeing a lot of uh, uh, pressure on the Bitcoin price is because uh, the Mt. Gox administrator is selling so much of it. But by the way, that's actually sort of good news because he has a finite amount of Bitcoin. Yeah, that means there's more out there and you have to go through the miners. Yeah, when he's done selling it, the, buy, the selling pressure will, will, will ease. Interesting. Okay, well, let's watch going on. By the way, uh, Bitcoin right now is about uh, 9,400, but it went down below 9,000 earlier today. So yeah. it's it's a roller coaster ride when it comes to Bitcoin, but like you and I always say, it's an opportunity more than it is a negative. Yeah, I have an issue when we talk about blockchain 
and then we talk about crypto because I think they're very different. The blockchain is the highway and Bitcoin is a car that goes on the highway. Do you agree with me on that? So if we start talking about, hey, let's talk about highways, 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 that really doesn't, we're not talking about Teslas and Fords because those are different entities. So if we talk about the blockchain, we're just talking about the next iteration of the internet. Do you agree? Uh, I think that's more of a stretch, but I, I kind of see where you're going. You're just saying it's a place where information is stored and shared and accessed, easily accessed. So that's kind of like the internet. I think it is the internet. I think it's actually the next iteration of the internet. I think the internet of today will look radically different, say, five years from now, if we apply the whole blockchain concept through everything that's going on. Well, I do too, and I hope it gets there. Uh, the biggest difference between the internet and uh, blockchains, because there's many ones, uh, uh, the biggest difference I would see is that uh, internet sites are owned by a company or owned by a person. And usually there's, you know, that site is running on the servers that they own. And if they wanted to unplug that particular website from the internet, they would just turn off their servers. Right. Whereas with the blockchains, there are private blockchains, but let's just talk about public blockchains. Public blockchains are generally like volunteer efforts where the software to run them is distributed across many thousands of computers. And so there isn't a single person who, who's a, a servers you could shut down and then kill that blockchain. So it's highly resilient. Now there's drawbacks to it as well. And anybody who's been trying to get a group at their work to pick where to go to lunch will understand, will understand the, the, the challenge of a distributed decision. And blockchains are distributed, and so... Wait, 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 all, wait, wait. Unless you only have a Shakey's to go to, it's pretty easy, right? Well, there you go. Because that's then it's, you and I did yesterday. Okay. We went to Shakey's. And why would you go anywhere else? <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing this up is... Even watching the news, at least in, in the States, and I hate to bring it up in the States because we have this whole news cycle out here talking about how possibly the elections have been tampered by foreign countries and how most of the election uh, moving forward should be paper-based because you can't uh, affect a paper-based election. You can't hack into it. So we want to go back to the old to make it so it's more protective which is pretty frustrating. Do you know? What? Yeah, well, as an aside, you remember in the 2000 election, yeah. Bush versus Gore. The Chad. And the hanging Chads, yeah. right? These paper, these paper voting yes. uh, documents. And then what, because they're, the paper could be uh, these little Chads that you would punch a hole in to indicate your vote, because those were paper and they could get... Yep wrinkled and if people wanted to audit them they could rip them and hurt them what did everybody say we needed as a solution we need a digital way to actually validate that this is a real individual and understand what it yeah. is accountability and so, all right and after the 2016 election <laughs> what we, we got to go back to paper right <laughs> it's it's so give me a break uh <sighs> now I, i'll tell you there's a a, a typical di digital solution i think is is a scarier way, way to go than a paper-based solution because it is true, it's harder to tamper with the paper. 
having said that, a blockchain-based solution where you know a blockchain, one of the elements of a blockchain is nothing on it can ever be deleted. That's, That's by the way, the key difference between a blockchain and a database. Right. A database, you can add something and you can delete it. With a blockchain, you can only add, you can never ever delete it. So that sounds like something that would be kind of cool to have for a voting platform. No one can go and delete your vote and put in a replacement vote, right? Yeah, this is exactly where I think we have to go in the future, right? I, I think this is, as I often say, I think on this show as well, that you know, blockchain is not for everything. In fact, there's a few places where a blockchain solution is good. One would be voting. Absolutely, 100%. And it would take a third world nation to test this out. Sierra Leone has just attempted to do the first uh, blockchain-backed presidential election. So yeah. they're trying it. Oh, it's necessary. This is great to see, but hopefully then we'll realize moving forward that this is where it's going to have to go. Again, five years down the road, maybe a little longer for voting cycles because the, the whole voting thing in the United States is literally 20 years behind everything else, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Well, for presidential elections, one reason for that is uh, that the individual states dictate the rules for the people in their state to vote on a federal election. So you can have people using electronic voting machines in one state, and you can have people using paper, uh, paper ballots in another state. It's just you know different rules depending on the state. How ironic! Our next story is about what? Well, if, are we talking about Russia? <laughs> yeah, you know Russia, the ones that tampered with our election. Right. That is kind of funny that we're talking about it in that order. So Russia is considering relaxing the rules on crypto. By the way, our third largest country that listens to CoinDMZ is Russia. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, so, so sing it to them, William, sing it to them. Well, I will say you know, Russia has a uh, has a, a volatile history with cryptocurrencies. They've gone from ignoring them to really not liking them and many people in the Russian government saying we're going to stamp out ownership of them. Uh, they were, you know, cryptos were not welcome to a, a thaw in that policy. It wasn't really even a policy. It was just sort of a statement because I don't think there was ever really a firm policy. But now we see uh, various people in the federal government of, of Russia saying we need to have a uh, a set of uh, rules, and what I like most about their set of rules, Ken, the uh, in particular, they're talking about what obligations the uh, ICO issuers, the people who are raising money to build new blockchain companies, uh, what obligations those individuals and companies have to the people buying the uh, the tokens from them. I like that because I do think we could. We could see some improvement in um, things like conflicts of interest and uh, yep. being more forthcoming and specifically what the issuer of a cryptocurrency, a new cryptocurrency and an ICO is agreeing to do. So Russia is trying to push uh, uh, that uh, as well as potentially uh, make uh, cryptocurrencies tax exempt. Now, who knows if that'll happen, but remember the, uh, the e-commerce companies in the U.S., did not pay sales tax for 
what, almost 15 years. I, I don't think it was until That's right. a few years ago that, uh, and, you know, that Amazon ultimately said, okay, we give. By the way, the reason they decided they were fine with that is because now they were big enough that paying no taxes on, on sales taxes was, a, uh, uh, was no longer needed for them, but they probably figured it would be good to shut that door to all the other upstart companies that are thinking about becoming online retailers and, and not giving them that advantage because you automatically in the U.S., got. Uh, somewhere between a five and maybe a ten percent discount on your goods when you bought them online because you didn't pay sales tax. No, wait, wait, wait. Let's be fair. You were supposed to pay something called use tax, which no one did. No yeah. one did. Don't you remember getting computers from Gateway and Dell going, "Oh, look at all the money I'm saving because I'm getting it I, I, via I e-commerce." Because I always paid those taxes. Are you saying you never paid those taxes? Oh. I, I had you pay I, them for let me. Write this down. Uh, write this down. Let me go. Let me let me go back to William's profile. When working with William, ask the tough questions, maintain high standards, respect autonomy. Yep. Put ideas to test, and complain when necessary. I put that one in there. Um, so I met this company called Bitcoin IRA. They do about a million dollars a day, oh, and people putting. Are those the guys yeah, in million. Northern Ireland? No, they're actually like, like near You're us. You're missing the joke. Mother. Oh, oh, the Irish. I get it. Yeah, it's uh, what what what's his name? Come on, what's what's the guy that uh, Sinn Fein? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's funny stuff. Thank you very much for being so funny. I, I am so funny. So does my profile say that? Absolutely not. There is absolutely nothing in here regarding humor. I, from what I'm looking at, you look like hell from Space Odyssey 2001, according to this. <laughs> You have no sense and, of humor. Tennessee is paying attention to this, meaning they're looking at IRAs and they're looking at, let's call them retirement funds, and they're saying maybe we should make it a little more difficult. Quite frankly, ban it from anyone putting any form of cryptocurrencies inside their IRAs or the retirement funds. I'm concerned when I see this. What's your concern? Well, my concern is the minute one state doesn't, let's face it, Tennessee's a fairly um, conservative state. Yep. Um, and because of that, this could actually make it more difficult for other states to do the same thing where people are going to allow or be able to put their their retirement, put crypto in. Could you imagine if you would have put uh, Bitcoin from like two years ago into your IRA? Of course, what you do is you defer the taxes on capital gains and so forth inside that until you retire at 59 and a half or whenever you start taking out. That's a, a massive opportunity to defer taxes on any form of gains. Yeah. I like this idea where you could actually stick into an IRA account, don't you? I think it's a great idea. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a wrongheaded policy. Uh, this is where you and I have talked about this. We really need a, a trade group, uh, you know, a trade association of people in the blockchain and cryptocurrency uh, business to educate lawmakers about the benefits and, of crypto and blockchain and what sort of uh, operating environment we need to have so it'll thrive. Because this is, make no mistake, this is an important area for the U.S. economy. And if we make mm -hmm. the environment unpleasant for cryptocurrency companies, they'll go to other places where they're welcome. You're right. And You're right. What gets me mostly like annoyed by by the Tennessee bill is that uh, 
if anyone is you know listening on the show who's had who's had money in an IRA and an individual retirement account, which for our audiences outside of the U.S., this is a way you can take money that you're earning your paycheck and you can invest it. And the uh, tax authority in the U.S. Uh, defers any taxes on on that money until you retire. So it's a way to get pre-tax dollars into a retirement account. And let's face it, we need a lot of people saving, saving more than they yes. are. And Frankly, I've I've lost money for many years on end um, in uh, in my IRA. Uh, the stock market turned out to not be what I hoped it would be. Uh, you know, there were the, we had the two thousand and eight financial crisis. We had the dot com bubble bursting. We had uh, uh, in the mid nineties we had the long term capital management going down, uh, recessions. There's just been a bunch of reasons why these stocks have not done well, and. If anything, we should be looking for better, more innovative investments that people can put in their IRA. I wouldn't have a problem with saying that you can only put so much in. It can't be more than 5% of your IRA or whatever. But to just, just say you can't do it at all, I think really takes away an opportunity for people to stay for their retirement, something that's got a lot of upside. Yes, it's got downside risk, but so does everything, folks. And um, uh, just don't allow people to put all their money in. That's fair enough. Again, this is Tennessee. How do you say it? Is it Chattanooga or Chittanooga? How do you say the capital of Tennessee? Uh, I, uh, as you know from my personality profile, I don't like saying the names of Tennessee. That would be Na- that would be Nashville, by the way. Nashville. Just want to make sure you know. Oh, I'm going to get you, Mister IRA. <laughs> So uh, I got it. By the way, the Irish, uh, I are Irish rebel, uh, Irish Republican Army. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, Arizona. We know this is going to happen no matter what. Again, the United States government, if any other government in the world is like ours, which many of them are probably when it comes to politics and taxes, politicians and the government will make sure they find a way where you can give them money. They will. And it's true. And the residents. Heck, if I could give a politician Beanie Babies to find a way to use that to fund their campaign, they would somehow take them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this is great. I think it's great. You know, uh, as you said, uh, governments will do anything they can to make it easy for citizens to pay their tax obligation. Yep. And this is a good way to do it. Um, And it's also, you know, it's this Arizona, by the way, Arizona, right? This is Arizona. And is it capital pronounced Tucson or Tucson? Uh, the capital of Arizona is uh, pronounced something like that. It's Phoenix. Come on. You don't know that one? Oh, you know, I think I hit you up with some geography last time, and you you, you were puzzled. Oh, you didn't even know the answer. Okay, so they're going to be able to pay taxes. Woo! With cryptocurrency, they're trying to make it happen. Of course, every state will do this. The federal government will do this. And every politician is going to find a way to do it, too. But they're going to make sure they block you in other areas. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, the last uh, thing I'll say about you know the, the U.S. government and uh, positions on cryptocurrency <clears throat> is, yes. um, uh, and it's the thing that really drives me crazy, is the fact that the Treasury Department says... Cryptos appear to be currency. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, says it's clearly a commodity. The 
Right, and, and, I, and I agree with the, that. It, the, well, what, these are contradictory positions. What does the uh, IRS say? The IRS says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's obviously property. And what does the Securities and Exchange Commission say? These are securities. I mean, so imagine you're a business person and you're trying to figure out which agency's rules do I follow? I know, it's a problem. Then, what do you, you do? You have at, the state, at the state level, you have Tennessee saying, well, I don't let people put this in the retirement accounts. And you have Arizona saying, hey, we'd love to be paid uh, our taxes. We'd love to be paid in cryptos. So, I mean, if there was ever an obvious uh, thing that Congress that makes the laws for all of us in the United States, uh, for Congress to come together and say, let's give these, these crypto people uh, some clear guidance, it's, it's now. It's it's the United States. And by the way, is the, how do you pronounce the capital of the United States? Is it Seattle or Seattle? Well, it's All right. Los Angeles. <laughs> it is L.A. That's what it is, the capital. Yes, we get lots of letters. Our mailbag is full. It's hello at CoinDMZ. And of course, William and I love to hear from you as often as possible. Since we were talking about Phoenix, the capital of Arizona, we have our first email coming from Maggie. And Maggie says, hey, I found your show from a group of Bitcoin users, I guess, in Scottsdale. Uh, they are massive fans of the two of us. All right. And by the way, you know what happens in Scottsdale, right? That's where you go to find a lot of open relationships, I was told. All right. Oh, scotch tape, scotch tape. But doesn't she also go on to say, but I like William Tatter. She does not say yeah. that, but she likes your profile on Crystal Nose. They hold a weekly meeting, about 20 of them. Very smart when it comes to digital currencies. But when I listen to CoinDMZ, you two blow my mind. How and where do I learn so much like you? What do you read? What do you watch? William, how do you stay so in the now when it comes to this well to be to be fair i feel so out of touch ken no i really do are you serious i i do i do there is so much to know there are 50 or so icos a month and maybe maybe it's even 100 now that's brand new businesses every month there are so many blockchains that that i'm trying to stay abreast of what 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 development is being done on the bitcoin blockchain that EOS blockchain that's not yet out, the Ethereum blockchain, uh, IPFS, uh, uh, Hashgraph, a new type of blockchain. So people are constantly asking me for my opinion. I'm like, I can't even keep up with what new innovations each of those chains are doing. And then we have this whole regulatory area that we were talking about. And remember, it's global. It's not enough to know what's going on in the United States. You got to know what's going on in all the countries of the world if you're if you're doing business outside of the U.S. So I feel uninformed. Uh, what do I look for for news? I, I look at some of the obvious ones, CoinDaily, Cointelegraph, uh, uh, the Bitcoin forums, so Bitcoin Talk. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I've mentioned this other uh, application before to, to folks. Uh, there is a, um, a mobile application called Telegram, which happens to be doing an ICO as well. Uh, but Telegram, and Telegram is a messaging app. It's like uh, WhatsApp or WeChat. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a messaging app that the the crypto people tend to like. And so you can go on 
on uh, Telegram, and there are channels that you can subscribe to, basically join, and uh, a lot of your favorite coins, there's channels for them, and you can get into these conversations with people who are talking about everything around that particular ICO or that particular coin. And so I, I spend time on Telegram as well. Uh, how about yourself? I, I, I listen to you on CoinDMZ. Well, there you go. I do that for crypto, but not for geography. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. Actually, I have a really good one called Crypto Symposium, which you uh, could subscribe to. There's a bunch of great podcasts, uh, video podcasts that I download. So I would probably say at least an hour and a half to two hours a day, I'm absorbing something on crypto, just listening. And then I have my own groups uh, where we all hang out and we kind of banter and throw things around. So I think it's being in the presence, and I think conferences too, which I think you neglected to mention. You you go to those conferences, which I think help out also. That's true. The conferences are great, but I, I'm assuming for most people, they can't fly around the world and go to conferences all the time. But the conferences are great to get a sneak peek at what's coming. So that's what we do. What is our next listener email? Who is that from? This is from Lorenzo from Naples, Italy. And Lorenzo says, even here in Italy, they're talking about ICOs that range from travel to all of companies. Can everything be funded by an ICO today? You know, Lorenzo, I'm thinking the same thing. It seems like anything can get funded with an ICO. I thought you had to have a token that had some type of utilization. Was that the whole premise that I'm doing an ICO because my token does this of value? Was well, that the premise? Yeah, that's the premise, Ken. But uh, what's my favorite word with respect to blockchain? Permissionlessness. So no one's permission is required to do an ICO. You don't have to get anyone's permission to own a crypto or to have a Bitcoin address or an Ethereum address or whatever. So um, as a result, Someone can say, I'm going to do an ICO, and typically what they'll do is they'll issue you an ERC-20 Ethereum token. And uh, you can look that up, but that Ethereum is uh, the main token. Uh, that ERC-20 is what they call this particular type of token. Uh, the Ethereum token is usually what people will give to the buyers of their ICO uh, coin. So uh, in the case of WAX, the people in WAX who bought who uh, uh, bought WAX tokens, uh, they uh, paid in Ethereum or Bitcoin, and they received a, an Ethereum ERC-20 token. Now, generally speaking, and this is where I would say is in the I hope to see, generally speaking, I would hope to see a company that's issuing or doing an ICO actually creating something valuable and selling right. that, you know? Uh, if all you're doing is taking a copy of the Ethereum blockchain or the Bitcoin blockchain and, and adding no value to it, which there are a lot of like questionable ICOs who do, then that's not interesting. If you're actually gonna take that blockchain and build on it and do something cool that um, maybe it can be used for a particular industry or type of customers, then that would be living up to the ideals of of the uh, the blockchain and crypto community, but but it makes more sense. By the way, I now know why I never got my wax tokens is because I tried to pay for it with BitConnect. Right. Yeah. That's why it didn't work. Yeah. 
Last email coming from Pat from Summerlin, California. Can a cryptocurrency expire? I bought a Bitcoin in 2015 for $248. What time limitation do I have on it? William? Yeah. So it's, unfortunately, it's expired. But uh, if you send it to me, I will give you a new one. Uh, it's like ketchup, right? It's like ketchup. Yeah. No, we're making fun of Pat. Pat from Summerland, no. They, cryptocurrencies and no currencies that I know of, uh, though there could be one I don't know of, do expire. The cryptocurrency exists for as long as the blockchain it operates on exists. Think of it like if you had a website on the internet, as long as you paid your, you know, your annual bill to the uh, domain name service, uh, you're going to keep your, your internet site up forever. So cryptocurrencies, as long as someone's maintaining the blockchain, there's computers out there that are hosting the blockchain software, your cryptocurrency is good. And certainly, hey, by the way, good for you for buying a Bitcoin in 2015 for $248. Because now it's nice. about $9,000. Uh, what is that? Like uh, 36 times increase in the value of your investment? That's pretty cool. Uh, so good for you. That's pretty cool. All right. That's what we do every single week. Uh, by the way, our relationship test, according to Crystal Knows, it says Ken and William are similarly ambitious and assertive. And they're likely to compete with each other, but look at multiple opportunities as a opportunity. <laughs> okay, great. William is a nat William and Ken are naturally great communicators. Ken combs his hair better. Uh, th I just that's something I added. Yep, hey, William, people want to hunt you down. Uh, they probably should just watch the companies that you are running. Where, what are those two companies? Uh I'm running opskins.com and wax.io. You'll see videos of me on wax.io. Wax.io is the website that has lots of information about the wax token, which is designed for people who trade in-game virtual items. And uh, and then occasionally, but very occasionally, at uh, Quigley Report, which is my handle. That never happens. Come on. You got to be kidding me. Every I once in a while. Dude, Phyllis Diller publishes more than you, and she's been dead for like 12 years. Gosh, my gosh. All right. And, of course, you can find out what's going on with me. Just go to YouTube and type in Voice of Disruption. You can see a great interview with William and I up there and some of the very first Coin DMZ shows that we started a long time ago, like 15 weeks ago. <laughs> episode, episode 15. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us and being part of this episode of Coin DMZ. DMZ.